Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden, and also featuring Megan Runyon, YA superfan, Pat Greiner, she has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci fi nerd. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. When I lived at home and I was a teenager and responsible for making dinner, we didn't have an oven. I had to do everything in the microwave and a hot plate. Oh, man. Those are my two things that I had. And I made dinner every night. I made freaking Thanksgiving dinner with a roaster, a hot plate, and the microwave oven. Damn, you got some skills. <laughs> oven was broken about at the start of the pandemic. It was oh, broken I remember. from Labor Day to Christmas. Oh. And yeah, I did Thanksgiving with a microwave and a toaster oven and you a can foreman do it. grill. You can yeah. do it. And a yeah. crock pot. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. You could have other shit go down at your radio station, Martha. Town Square had a real interesting one this week. In a couple days ago, at, in the middle of the night, the people who have the uh, the K2 news alert or news app on their phones yeah. got a whole series of news alerts full of pornographic <gasps> and anti-Semitic posts. Par- the best guess that I've heard from from people a little closer to it is it was a disgruntled former news director who got fired. Oh, shit. Damn. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's some Twitter employee getting fired kind of shit. That's a vibe right there, yeah. (laughs) And there's a whole lot of Twitter people that just got fired. Oh, my God. You know, I switched. It's an emotional roller coaster of, like, pop culture this week yes, between the taylor been. swift tickets and the twitter and, thing yeah i oh. i switched i i went to mastodon last week and it's so much nicer than twitter you I guys because there's no algorithm oh okay you just look at what's what's going on and if what's you want to search a hashtag or something that's how i found all my book people i just go oh. over and search search the hashtag and it says you know 75 people are talking about this and then i just go down the line and look to see what they're talking about and then send them a oh, follow cool because your fault fo- it unlike twitter your followers aren't a badge right it's just it's just the people you see it's like a forum yeah. it's yeah. almost like a fo- how forums used to be yeah in the best things i've saw was the guy that's in charge of the badges for all of twitter was fired and he got called back by Elon Musk yep. because when he left he deactivated everybody's badge so Elon Musk was locked out of his own fucking company's building. Which I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> oh. it. So many things and- like that. He doesn't know how anything works. No. Another thing that they're investigating that they're going to make Twitter stop is paying for the check mark. Yes! Because there's so many different companies or people creating well, yeah. fake names and check and, and the verifying. Yeah, paying. Yeah, yeah, and because they're not really part of that company. It's Was not it? only companies; it's famous people. I mean, yeah, R.I.P. Yeah. Jimmy, R.I.P. Jimmy Fallon was trending because yes. one of the official accounts of whoever it was was tweeting out that he was dead. Well, and they were talking about like Eli Lilly. Somebody had made a fake Eli Lilly account, which who does all the insulin? Oh, yes. And but like if you think about it from an economic standpoint, like you can wreak havoc that yeah, way. Yeah, because they said insulin is insulin's free. free. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the stock market went whoop, like straight down the shit. 
They have no idea what they're fucking with. That's no. they just don't. The biggest up part of the entire so like stress of fandom this week. Late last night, Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde broke up. Oh no! Add another brick to the wall. No, it's good for Megan because that means she. They're just, you mean there's a chance? No, I'm just so happy that he's not with her. Okay, whatever. Hey. I got to tell you guys some really fucking cool news. This is the coolest news I have ever had in my life. So I was on Mastodon, right? You've heard me talk about how much I love the peripheral. And I was, I'm watching it or was watching it on Amazon. I'm done. But so the guy who wrote that William Gibson is just so good. I was like, oh, hell, I'm going to go back and read that again. So I posted about it on Mastodon. And who answers me back? but probably one of the most famous audiobook readers on the planet. Lorelai King. She was the one that voiced the original Janet Ivanovich series with Stephanie Plum. And I listened to those so many years ago. It was back in, shit, it was the 80s, I think, that I listened to the audiobook the first time. Maybe it was 90s. I think it might have been 90s. But she is amazing. She's amazing, you guys. And she answered me back, not just once, but three times. Oh, that's awesome. I know. I just, I, I thought I was going to have a little heart attack for myself on my couch last night. I understand the fangirl in that moment because Whew. I've been there. Yeah. So I mean, audiobook it. narrators. Well, Pat's an audiobook narrator too. But she's been my, quite a famous one. You've been my friend forever. So that's different. <laughs> Could you get John Lee to answer you? Because that's who I like. Yeah. Well, you could get on Mastodon and go follow him and have him answer yourself. I don't know if that's he's a, on there, but. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Like, I don't, she, she I don't even hardly. Of that book you were talking about? She did or? the audiobook of The Peripheral and Agency, which is the follow-up, which I had listened to twice before. So I knew that it was her, and I was listening to it at the time when she answered it. Oh, that's so cool. So it was the weirdest, most surreal feeling I've ever had in my life. It was like, oh, my gosh. This person whose voice has been in my head all these years just spoke to me. That was cool. Get her to be on the podcast. Well, I, I didn't want to, like, start right off and scare her away or anything. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the future that she answered me once and I sucked up real good so maybe but it is really <laughs> fun when someone retweets or like replies or yeah, like likes yeah. your post on Instagram you kind of like lose your mind for like a minute you're like yeah. oh my god yeah been there done yeah. that yeah I thought I was having a, a heart attack for a second I'm sitting there on the couch and my heart's going so fast and I'm like okay what's happening right now but yeah that was my it mind. was a very emotional roller coaster week for all of it us was. apparently it, it was <laughs> the weirdest week I in recent memory yeah. I mean I was ready to leave um the day that I think it was Thursday yeah it was Thursday I had done because I had a live shift on Friday so I pre-recorded my show and I was finishing out all of my Sunday morning magazine stuff and I was done and then I get the message from Megan that says, holy shit, they just canceled the general sale. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Probably about 20 minutes later, I get the message from Bobby saying, they've canceled the general sale. I'm like, ha ha. 
I already knew. I already know. I've already done it. So I had to get back on. And basically, that just sucked up my whole show, talking about Taylor Swift again. And yesterday, I was out doing the live show, and every person who passed by the table was like, oh, my God, the Taylor Swift thing. Even some guy didn't listen to the damn radio, was listening to Sirius, and came in and was wanting to talk about it. He looks like he's Ron's age, and here he is talking about all this. Well, and like the BTS fans are pissed because they're like, we are, we did all this shit for a BTS festival a year ago and no one's, no one talked about it. And because it's Taylor Swift, well, now everybody's talking about it. Sometimes it it takes a really big dog to take a big bite. Yeah. She's the biggest dog on the block, man. (laughs) Did you see her apology? She was like, I'm amazed that my fans got tickets, but I hate the fact that they feel like they went through multiple bear attacks to do yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I hated calling Taylor Swift a dog because she certainly is not one, but. No, not in that context. We met like the alpha. The good dogs. The boss bitches. Yes. She is. She is the boss bitch. Yep. And we're not just talking Oklahoma cold. It's actually cold. It's only it's actually, 20 something for the high. It's actually below freezing yesterday. Yes. All day. <laughs> Yeah, it was like 16 here yesterday. Uh, I knew she was going to chime in. I remember yeah. but, okay, but what our, it was like. Our average temperature right now is like 60s, according to the news. So we are well below average. It's cold. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're headed back up, though. So we're, we're going to have yes. nine days of decent weather. Anyway, um, we're just about ready to head into Thanksgiving. And of course, because it's Thanksgiving, we wanted to do something book related that was related to Native Americans instead of going with the traditional quote American view of Thanksgiving we we wanted to we wanted to highlight the indigenous authors or stories that don't often get as much attention or just to highlight the fact that they are out there and encourage more people to read them Yes. And the stories that are about Native people and all of those things as well. In, and in all genres. So the more we talk about them, the more people can discover them. And it's not like we don't do that because we do. But, I mean, this is our theme this month. Since we've decided to start doing a theme once a month, this is our theme. It seems like an appropriate first kickoff topic. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing next month. Are we doing Christmas reads next month? I don't know. We haven't gotten that far. <laughs> All right. I mean, that would be appropriate since it is Christmas next month. Well, if you haven't you noticed. You do, you or you could do holiday Christmas in general and do Hanukkah. Holiday in general or something about. Yeah. Holiday in general, not cold just Christmas. Weather or... Oh, yeah. 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 Winter, cold weather reads. Winter weather reads. Yeah. There we go. Course, just about anything fits into that. But... <laughs> Pat, you already read your ice book. You read... Yeah. <laughs> So are we ready to dive in, Bonnie? I think think so. She had to put down her yeah. crocheting. In lieu of <laughs> Pat's ice read, I also have an ice read that I actually read for our Halloween reads, and it ended up being extremely... Um, it had a lot of Native American kind of folklore in it. So I thought it would fit in for our Native American episode. So I decided just to keep it and review it this week. And the book that I'm reviewing this week is called Terror, 
by Dan Simmons. And like I said, this is a thriller, kind of horror, historical fiction genre. And it is based on the ill-fated 1945 Franklin expedition to the Arctic Circle. And the name of the boat was the HMS Terror. So that's where you get the name. So these, I'm going to say explorers, because they were out exploring, trying to find um, the northern passage to uh, the east through Canada. They left from Europe and right away they begin having problems and bad things happen with their ship. For one thing, like most military expeditions, they bid on the companies that are going to supply or do the supplies and everything. And of course they take the lowest bid because they don't want to spend the money. Well, the, the company who they hired to supply them with all of their canned foods and everything gave them a lot of spoiled foods. So they got out into the ocean and everything and started opening these cans of food and they hadn't been canned properly or cooked properly, or they were just way too old and they were bad. They were spoiled. So right away, they already have problems with supplies and they're going across the ocean to the Canadian territory. I don't remember if Canada was actually a country by then, but they're going over the, the Canadian territory, which is already cold and frozen. And they had a particularly cold year that year. So a lot of the water passages that are usually open to boats are frozen over. Along with all of this, they also have a lot of sickness on the boats. The dogs that they brought over with them start dying. And this is all right at the beginning of the boat of the book. They get to Canada and come across Native American tribes or like Eskimo tribes that are, you know, native to the far north. And in pure white man fashion, they kill them because they're afraid they're going to kill them first. So they automatically kill people or this tribe and they do keep one of the women and they call her, I can't remember what they call her. They call her like silent or something like that because she doesn't have a tongue. For some reason, she does not have a tongue. So they don't know very much about her. And um, as they're camping, once they have this Native American woman in their midst, they also start experiencing polar bear attacks and not just polar bear attacks. They also have this creature that's kind of like a polar bear, but much, much bigger that just wreaks havoc and kills people. And I mean, just is a nightmare for them. And, but they don't give up on their expedition. They keep trying to find the Northwest passage. They um, go out on foot of course, come across more Native Americans and kill them. And uh, as the story progresses, you kind of learn more about the folklore surrounding this monster that keeps attacking them and att attacking their camps and attacking the ships. And you find that 
the Native American woman who they've had, who they've captured, has a lot to do with that folklore also. And it's just, it's a really interesting read because of the different beliefs that the Native Americans have. And it also was kind of a sad read. And I thought it was kind of appropriate for this episode because of the aggressive way that the Europeans handle the Native Americans, how they, and I mean, they don't just kill the warriors, they kill an old lady, a little kid. And why would they do that? Because they don't pose a threat and they still just kill them all, which is extremely sad. And like I said, it's just a really good look on what happened when the Europeans first came to America and with the Native Americans. But it was a little gruesome, I would have to say. And I think that would be the biggest trigger is the violence and the gruesomeness of the killing of the Native Americans and the killing that the monster does. I don't know. It, it was a really interesting read. Um, there were some of the characters that I kind of liked, but none that I really liked a lot because they were all just just savages. They were violent and shoot first, ask questions later kind of people. But um, I did do some research about the Northern Passage, and that was an expedition that European boats did take to try to find a quicker way around to the Pacific Ocean so they didn't have to go all the way around the Americas. It was interesting. It had a little bit of historical fiction value, a little bit of folklore, a little bit of thriller, a little bit of horror, a little bit of gore. So it had a little bit of everything, I think. So it it was a really interesting and it was a good read. I think that anyone who is interested in the folklore of the Northern Native tribes, this would be a good read. I read it because, of course, you know, it's about boats and I like boats in Canada and I like Canada. So why would I not read it? It was pretty good. And it's told in the point of view of the Europeans that come over to find the North path, the Northern passages. But one of them does take interest in silence, the native American girl that's or woman that's with them. And he actually learns a lot from her, even though she doesn't talk, she has other ways of communicating which you would have to read the book to find out exactly what that is. And so, yeah, it was, I would say it has a little bit of fantasy in it because they do go quite far into the folklore. So somebody who likes fantasy novels might actually like this book because of that. Okay. So it's just kind of a little bit of everything of everything for everybody. I think it's actually categorized mostly as a horror novel because Dan Simmons is a very well-renowned writer of horror. Well, he does a really good job of that part. It's pretty gory. I've I've read a bunch of novels by him and he is a master. Yeah. I did not like that one, however. Too much past. You know, I don't like to read about the past. Yeah, that's very true. I know you. You'd much rather read about the future than the past. The future! But one of the greatest learning tools we have is to know what happens in the past so we don't repeat it. Yes, Mom. That's true. Yeah. 
And that again was called The Terror by Dan Simmons. Excellent. Cool. Go ahead, Megan. All right. So I really didn't know where to start when I was trying to find a book. So I went to the old trusty Google and um, searched YA books by Native authors or with the uh, Native American themes and found a plethora and was reading through them, trying to decide. And then one caught my attention because it talked about kind of having Ready Player One vibes. And I was like, uh, so I am reviewing Walking in Two Worlds by Wob Canoe. And I hope I'm saying that name correctly because I tried to go back and pull up the like where it said the author's name and other people have since discovered this book and now there's a hold for it. So I couldn't go back <laughs> and re-listen to it. Uh, and I believe this may be um, more Canadian or at least the audiobook narrator was Canadian uh, because they say sorry <laughs> when they would say sorry in the book. Uh, but I still think it is an awesome book, so I'm going to tell you about it. So we have our main character, and her name is Bugs. And she is a native teenager living on a reservation with her family. And we meet her for the first time in in the Flora-verse, as they call it. Um, and she has her persona, which is her avatar. And she's made her avatar kind of the perfect version that she could of what she, I don't know if what she wishes she looked like is the right terminology, but what she feels like is the most authentic version of herself kind of. And she's a badass bitch, that one. In the Floraverse, her character is the best. She has the most powers, the most things, the most things she's created because you basically work your way up to get to what in the world they call like the spiritual realm, which is the highest part of the Floraverse. And she just has all the things. So it starts off, we realize that there is a group of, we'll say typically men who are trying to defeat her because they're like, this is bullshit. We can't let this girl win. And she's like, fuck the patriarchy. I'm keeping everything. And she is battling this group called clanless and just kind of to walks through like how she does battle with them. And the, the best way to describe them would be far right racist assholes. A lot of them. At least that's how she perceives them. You're hearing this from her perception. And they're just trying to take her down because they just can't stand the fact that a girl's better at video games than they are. And, and so she's battling, but she has like millions of fans. She makes tons of money as a in the Floraverse that translates into to real life. Like she can spend this money. And so when she's back on in regular life, she puts her persona to sleep and is hanging out or whatever her alternate self is doing. And she's at her tribal powwow and she has made enough money that her prize that she can give as she's the best dancer of her type of dance within the tribe. And I cannot think of what it's called right this second. I should have written it down. It's not a Shaw dance. B dance okay. also doesn't sound right. But anyway, so she's one of the best. 
and she gets to give like a prize at the powwow and she is giving someone in the tribe a car like that's how much the kind of money she makes in the Floraverse as her character so she feels very responsible for her tribe and providing for those in the tribe that are less fortunate than she is and we meet like your typical high school people you have the popular girls and bugs has um an older brother who according to her is the you know fairly attractive kind of popular and the popular girls are trying to get with him so they kind of put up with bugs um because they want her brother and they're not very nice to her um like most high schoolers, she has her own, you know, issues with feeling like I weigh too much, I'm too, too heavy, I weigh too much, I'm not pretty enough, you know, all those typical high school feelings. So we, we get to meet her group and her friends on the reservation. Then we get a newcomer who we actually meet in the Floraverse at the beginning, and he is Fang, and he lives in China, and he and Bugs have, like, interacted because he's part of Clanless, but he is like fascinated by her. He thinks she's so cool and he always is around when he can be in the Floraverse when they're around her. But he ends up leaving China because he's kind of on the run from the Chinese government because he's part of Clanless and they're not happy about it. And he ends up with his aunt who conveniently is the doctor in the town where the reservation is or a nurse where the, I think she's a doctor, pretty sure she's a doctor. Uh, so they get to interact in real life. You get to see that friendship and what it looks like uh, because there quickly becomes problems for Fang and for Bugs because they became friends. So you watch what happens to them and it's chaos for like the last half of the book or last quarter of the book as that kind of story develops and how it develops, because I don't want to give any spoilers, obviously. Uh, but there is trouble in the friendship, which really starts because of the Floraverse and the spirit world that they're building in. But what was really impactful is that she basically recreates all of the legends and the myths and her culture she recreates all of those things in the Floraverse, and as things start to go bad those th tragic things happen to those creations in the Floraverse, and it just really kind of breaks your heart because you think back to how they how that happened you know hundreds of years ago because the story is set in the future it is kind of post-pandemic but it's not like Station Eleven post-pandemic. They talk about that there's been pandemics that came from China. So Fang kind of gets um, a lot of racism towards him because he's Chinese, uh, which we saw a lot of at the beginning of the pandemic here. So a lot of it kind of feels very relevant and very mo like present day, even though it's set a little bit in the future. But you you get to see Bugs trying her best to to save her culture of not only in person, but in the Floraverse and what that means. And one of the um, creatures, and I should have written it down because I couldn't spell it out phonetically to say it correctly, um, but you're only allowed to speak that word or that creature in the fall. It's considered bad luck to use it the rest of the year. 
So in the author's notes at the beginning, the author says, you know, this traditional word can only be used in the fall. If it's used outside the fall, it's considered like ill will. And he goes, fear not, I wrote this book in the fall. It's okay. <laughs> so he kind of gave you a little bit of, of a history lesson behind the, the native words that he used um, when he, I'm assuming, oh, you know, I should have looked, I should not say he, because I don't know for sure, but I believe it was a male author um, that he used. And I just thought it was beautifully done. Still gives you that YA, like teen drama to some of it. But as I listened to the bad things happening, I, I really thought about how it must have felt for the tribes in 1700s that, you know, they're trying their hardest to preserve their own way of life and nothing that they're doing is working because there's just so much other things happening. And Bugs is kind of feeling that same way, but in a, a digital space. So I, I loved it. I thought it was really good. I don't want to give any spoilers, so it's hard to talk about too much of what's happening in the book. Uh, but I thought it was beautifully done and gave you a really good insight to how she felt. And I get that it's called Walking in Two Worlds because she's in the digital world. She's in the the present day world, but also that side of representing your tribe still. And also being in a world where the tribes aren't necessarily as represented and have lost a lot of their culture. So she's kind of has a foot on both sides, I feel like. But yeah, I highly recommend it. I really, the audiobook was great. It was definitely a Canadian reader, if not based a uh, Canadian author. Because anytime someone said, oh, I'm sorry, it was, I'm sorry. So that I always kind of was like, what's happening? Oh, Canada accent, got it. <laughs> and that is Walking in Two Worlds by Wob Canoe. Cool, cool, cool. Pat. What did you bring to the Thanksgiving table today? Okay, well, I used this as an opportunity to go back and read a book that's considered a modern classic that I had heard about for decades and never had taken the time to read before. Uh, the title is Housemaid of Dawn by N. Scott Momaday, or Momaday, I'm not sure which way to pronounce the name. It came out in the late 60s, I think 69, won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction and is considered the book that started sort of a renaissance in Native American literature or indigenous. Well, back then it was called Indian literature. I mean, it's changed over the, over the years. But anyway, this was the book, one of the books that quote unquote started it all. So I thought, let's go back and read a classic. It's a short book, but it's not a short read. This is, I found this a challenging book. This was not a book you can race through. You kind of have to absorb each scene at a slow pace. I, I can't imagine doing it as an audiobook. I didn't even look to see if it's available. It probably is, but at any rate, <laughs> partway through, I, uh, I said to my husband, I said, you know, reading this book, I feel like reading this book is the print equivalent of watching an Ingmar Bergman film, which is an odd comparison because I have never seen an Ingemar Bergman film. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what I imagine they must be like, which is sort of slow moving and carrying their symbolism around like a 200 pound weight on their shoulders. Yeah. Hmm. And there is a strong component to that. This book is very poetic. And I did look up some information about the author. And I think this book was one of his first works. 
And in later years, he became primarily a poet. And I'm not surprised because the writing is beautiful and every word carries a lot of weight. So with all that preface, the story basically concerns Abel, who is an Indian from the Kiowa tribe, who has just come home from World War II. And he arrives on the train, his grandfather meets him, and Abel is so drunk that he can scarcely even recognize his grandfather and stand up. There is a real consistent theme of substance abuse, particularly alcohol abuse amongst the characters in the book. So he comes home, he gets some part-time work, mostly doing manual labor in the area, has a brief affair with a white woman who's there for some kind of a health kind of reason, and ends his time at the reservation by getting, well, first by being defeated in a horsemanship contest by a man who's referred to as the white man, but he is not a white man in the sense of being a Caucasian. He's a Native American, but he's an albino. So he is the white man. And, you know, I mean, right there, we got a lot of symbolism going on with a capital S. And he defeats this guy. And so the white man defeats Abel in a horsemanship contest. And then a night later, Abel is sitting and talking with him at a bar. There's not like a big blow up or anything. They just kind of look at each other and go outside and chase around on the desert for a little while. And Abel kills him and goes to jail for six or eight years. And then the story picks up when he gets out of jail. He's in Los Angeles, becomes part of a group of Native Americans there who some of them are dealing, are, are advocating for basically assimilating more into white culture and trying to go along to get along and it'll just be easier if we forget our own ways and, and do what they expect of us. And Abel's not com comfortable with that. He gets beaten up. And at the end, by the end, I'm, I'm going to give away some spoilers here because it's an old enough, it's not a book you read for the plot. It's a book you read for the, for the experience and the, and the imagery and, and the feeling of it. By the end, he returns to the reservation to care for his grandfather as he's dying. And he ends up starting to make his own peace with the ways of his ancestors and his tribe and, and find some good in that. And you think maybe kind of pull his act together. It's overall not a cheerful piece of writing, it's, but it's a powerful piece of writing. I mean, this is, but it really does, it kind of demands a lot from you as a reader. You, like I said, you can't, you can't skim it, you can't rush through it. it. For a book that's barely 200 pages long, it took me between two and three weeks to get through it because I'd have to read a chunk and put it down and read a chunk and put it down. It's a powerful read. So that is Housemaid of Dawn by N. Scott Mamaday. That sounds very interesting. It does. I don't remember if I've reviewed this book before, but if I did, my review of it was not quite fair. Okay. I decided to go back and read it again, and I'm really glad I did. The book I'm bringing to the table today is called Future Home of the Living God by Louise Erdrich. I have reviewed a bunch of books by her. She usually writes about Native Americans. She, uh, 
she does a, a spectacular job about including the characters and their lives in a way that can that really helps you to understand what their lives are really like and that always just does it for me I think it's not performative in any way when she writes the way she does it's just a fact this one in particular was hard for me because it is an end of the world type novel and you guys know how much I love those but my biggest problem with it initially was that you don't get a lot of information about what's actually causing the difficulty in the world and I just couldn't get past that when I read it the first time that and the fact that it has a very religious overtone it's not even an undertone it's an overtone the main character, her name, which I found this really interesting, her name currently is Cedar Songmaker, which is a cool name, right? But then you find yeah. out that she's adopted. Both of her parents are Caucasian, but she's a Native American, and her birth mother named her Mary Potts. And, be, and that's because her birth mother's name is Mary Potts. And her mother's name is Mary Potts. Now you find... Like genealogy nightmare. Exactly. <laughs> and they all have nicknames. But it was really the whole structure of her relationship to her adoptive parents and her birth parents, I found fascinating because, as you know, Dylan is adopted and I've never had any contact, neither has he, with his birth family Mary Potts actually reaches out at one point to Cedar and this is before anything weird starts to happen with the world but then Cedar discovers that she's pregnant and she's about four months along I guess when everything starts to really go badly wrong with the world you kind of get the impression that it's something to do with evolution and it starts to speed up so that it's really noticeable with the animals all of a sudden the birds look more like dinosaurs and it's it happens really super rapidly but the biggest thing that happens is that pregnant women are being affected by it and so children are not being born n normal anymore well, she right about the time that she goes in to have her ultrasound, the doctor sees what's on the screen and says, tie me to the chair. You have to get out of here. So you kind of know that something is up with that baby, but you don't know what. So most of the book is about her trying to hide from the authorities because she's pregnant, because it progresses very quickly from come in and we'll protect you and take care of you to it's illegal to harbor a pregnant woman to all women are being subjected to incarceration if they're of childbearing age oh my and so like i said it all happens very very quickly the way the book is presented anyway and it's really that's the main focus of the book 
I had a really hard time with it, like I stated before, because they don't really go into any detail about what's happening and why. But I got an interesting viewpoint after I read it for the second time. When, when something really bad happens, a lot of times you don't get all the details. A lot of times you don't really know what's going on. And if all of a sudden you're disconnected from all your sources of information, how are you going to know? You can only know about yourself and your immediate connections in the world. She gets saved uh, once by her mailman, oddly enough, because he's still delivering mail. And as you realize, a lot of times mailmen notice things about you that you wouldn't think about because, the, you know, they see your mail. A lot of times they will see you. And in this case, this guy is very protective of her and helps her at one point. And there are a lot of people that help her along the way. Gives a whole new meaning to like rain, sleet, or snow, like the U.S. Post Office. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. <laughs> Um, like I said, the first time I read the book, I was not, I didn't like it. And I love all of her other books that I've read, but it had, it had more to do with the fact that she, she's very religious. And as you know, I'm not. So I was having a hard time just divorcing myself from that part of it because she's actually the editor of her church newsletter. And so she's very, oddly enough, her her adoptive parents aren't religious at all. She's sort of adopted Catholicism and has done that on her own. And then when she reconnects with her birth mother, her birth mother has this same, you know, uh, comfort, I guess, in Catholicism. The, the characters are extraordinarily well drawn as is the case with everything she does. And there are parts of the book that are just completely unforgettable because of the way it's written. And I know I mentioned this the last time I reviewed it. If I did, I don't remember. Um, there's a character who's, who's, the, who's part of her birth family who is a very depressive man and he begins to write this journal where every day he wakes up and writes all the reasons why he shouldn't kill himself that day. And he's very poetic and very profound. And that's just one example of, of why you're so, I got so hooked into the characters even the first time I read it, even though I had all of these other issues. But having gone back and read it the second time, I was really able to absorb so much more and really appreciate the story for the way it was written so much more. I highly, highly recommend it. It kind of sounds, you know, it does have Handmaid Tale type vibes, but it's, it's so different that it's not really the focus of the book because nobody really knows what's going on. So you don't get that explanation of 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 everything you just get bits and pieces of it and her specific journey of trying to evade the authorities and the people that she meets along the way and her family of course which are all awesome so 
as a Native American, I think she's a Native American person herself, isn't she? I think so. Ojibwe, Ojibwe tribe. Mm -hmm. She does such a good job of painting her characters with an authentic brush. So no matter what you choose to read by her, you're going to get a little bit of that. This particular one, I chose it for obvious reasons because it is my genre. And I chose to go back and read it again because I had heard so many people talk about what a great book it was. And I had, I figured I owed it a second look when we were talking about doing this show. So that's why I went back to it again. And I gave it, I bumped it up a star because I really think that it deserved more than three, which is what I gave it the first time I read it. And that's called Future Home of the Living God by Louise Erdrich. I ended up reading some of her stuff just because I had some extra time. And I'm probably going to do them on future podcasts because I'm yeah, I'm reading the, the Justice Trilogy. And it's very good. I don't know that, like that you I've said it. Yeah. I don't know that I've read that particular one. And I haven't read the, the Doves one that you told me about. That that's the first one in the Justice. Oh trilogy. yeah, I haven't read those. Plague of, Plague of Doves. Now I'm reading the Roundhouse. And... Oh yeah, have I read Roundhouse? Somebody else told me to read that. I don't know that I have. She's just very good. Yes, she is. Yeah. From what I was reading about her too, I think she owns a bookstore. Yeah. Called Birch Books. Yep. Oh, which, nice. In Minnesota, I think. I we should try to make that one of our. <laughs> We really Louise, should. Can we come do a broadcast from your bookstore? Call her up and say, we're big fans. <laughs> come on, Pat, get on that. <laughs> so I think it's good that we were able to, I think this time last year, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but we actually didn't follow through with the theme. Yeah. I had another book that I thought about doing, but I want to save it for when the movie comes out. The adaptation quandary. Yes. Megan always has that. She's always got to make sure she keeps her adaptations lined up in a nice, pretty little row. Speaking of adaptations, our special episode for Patreon this time is Book to Movie. And we are going to be recording this when we're finished here with this episode So if you're not a Patreon member yet, you could squeeze over and become a member so that you could hear the special episode. We we typically do one every quarter, sometimes more. So if you're interested in getting a little extra content, that's where you get it. Go join Patreon and get inside the inside club. Get to hear all the stuff that Martha cuts. Oh yeah, that too. I'm a little behind on that. I need to get the last two weeks put up my favorite part is i'm bad about logging in to see what gets like what you post so i have no idea what's made it to the cutting room floor that mark <laughs> put on patreon oh there's a lot believe me a lot of oh, megan a lot of megan rants about particular fandoms and all the extra stuff that i have to cut out because megan does not she does not mince words when she's talking about her fandoms. Dude, my fandoms are super happy right now on TikTok. They went from bottom of the barrel to the highest of highs this week. <laughs> yeah. They went from crying into their their sweatshirt sleeves for Taylor Swift to jumping up and down that Harry and Olivia broke up. So it's been a, 
Yeah, I, I literally got on TikTok and it was all of, like my entire For You page did like a 180. <laughs> it was like, ah! I have a, uh, something to bring up. Do you guys yeah. ever notice that on Goodreads, if you go to read the reviews, sometimes they don't show more than one or two, but it says community reviews 3,000. But you can oh, only look at a few. So oh. I'm, I'm wondering why that is. I don't know. It depends you on the book. The others, even even if you scroll or no, click no, it just something? stops. The screen just stops. And I don't know if that's just the. I, for example, I just did it with that book because I wanted to see what the names of some of the characters were. So I went back through to look. And I could only see like five reviews on that, yet it had well over three three thousand on there. Huh. I haven't I haven't looked. Mine was acting up a few minutes ago when I was trying to pull up the book again that I reviewed and it was giving me an error message. So maybe there's having issues. Did Elon Musk buy Amazon <laughs> while we weren't looking? Well, they did lay off a shit ton of people at Amazon and they're gonna keep going, but I think it's mostly related to Alexa. Ah. Uh. So I don't know. But I also heard that Goodreads was and Amazon were going to merge even more so that the reviews would be even more because they really do a lot of crossover things. You can go to Amazon and look at the review. And that's what I ended up doing when I couldn't get Goodreads to cooperate. Yeah, they're owned by the same. same so I don't people. understand what the big deal of doing that really is because it's the same company. Yeah. I mean, you can hate on Amazon all you want, but they're the ones that have provided this for us. And yeah, they want to sell books. That's not a secret. If you, you know, there is an Amazon alternative, a Goodreads alternative. I don't know if anybody else Storygraph, has heard of it. I know. I love Storygraph. You know what my issue with that is? And I know I'm going to get a bunch of people wagging their finger that I didn't do it right, but I did try to change over. And it said, your files are too large. We can't do it. Oh, because you've read so You've got to alter your files. I'm like, fuck you. I'm going back to Goodreads. I'm not doing uh, that. I don't know, A, I don't know how to do that. And B, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I basically. I, I changed over. I use both still. I basically just use it to track which book, books I read anyway, just to keep me from duplicating because I used to do that constantly. I'd go, oh, that yeah. looks good. And then I'd get three quarters of the way through the book and go, oh, crap. I've already read I like, this. I like Storygraph because it literally graphs for me like, what I've been reading and like it gives me a page count as well as like a book count. I would have liked to see it. I've seen uh, people post on it and I really wanted to do it. And I did try. I even sent an email to the help on StoryGraph. And, and they basically yeah. just said, you know, we can't help you. You're going to have to delete some of your files. And I'm like, no, fuck you guys. <laughs> no. Not doing yeah, it. One of the girls that works, one of the girls that works in transport, she's a big reader. And so we were, the guys were like, well, how many, how many books have you read? How many books has Kenzie read? And I was like, I don't know. And so we compared and I was like, and then I asked how many pages that was. And I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, oh wait, yes I do. Storygraph will tell me. Kenzie had sat there and added hers up. <laughs> and I was like, no girl, get on Storygraph. <laughs> oh, 
you know that you have to have had your turkey in the refrigerator yesterday to thaw if you're doing a 20 to 24 pound turkey. Yes. Ooh, Do not try to call, Friday. Try to call so that ball. would have been the Friday before Thanksgiving. You have to have it in the fridge to thaw. If you're doing it in the fridge. You have to have it thawing for six days. In I the, thought it was only in the three fridge. to four. No, in the Depending fridge. Depending on how big it is. If it's a big, it's, like 20 pounds. If yes. you're going for the big turkey, you can look it up if you don't believe me. But if you're going for the big turkey in the fridge. now I for, did look it up. It said three to four days. Well, that's not what the one that I looked up said. But I don't thaw it in the fridge. I do it the way you're not supposed to do it. In the sink where you're going to get salmonella? In the sink! I'm rolling those dice. I've been doing it all these years. I'm doing it. So if I die of salmonella poisoning from turkey, it's my own fault. With cold water. I I almost always end up finishing mine that because I get it yep. into the fridge, you know, maybe two days before. Mm -hmm. There's there's just that part and it in the really, middle. Yeah, it really yeah. just doesn't thaw out very good in the fridge. What are we going to do? Do with you people. Yeah. Give yourself Pat, Pat stuffs her turkey and rolls the dice that way. I roll yeah. the, roll the dice with the thawing pro process. Ay, ay, ay. What about you, Bonnie? I always loved when people came into Kroger, like, the day before Thanksgiving, and were like, bye-bye frozen turkey. We'll thaw by tomorrow. Like, no, for fuck's sake, it is not going to thaw in 12 hours. Like, what the fuck <laughs> is wrong with you? Yes, it will. No, it won't. Yes, it will if you leave it in the sink all night. No. I've left it in the sink all night like that, and it was still frozen in the middle. Yeah. I mean, I cooked it anyways, but when I, I I had to run water in the cavity to be able to get the uh, oh yeah the bag done. of yeah I've done that too. out yeah I've done that too. Yeah. So I I put it in the refrigerator, but I don't put it in the refrigerator for six days. <laughs> Well, I don't even leave my meat in the refrigerator for six days before I cook it. Well, it takes that long to thaw out, according to the chart I looked at yesterday and talked about on the radio. And if it's super deep frozen, sometimes it takes longer than that. Because I had one one year when I lived in Columbus that I took out and it went, mom went to like cook it and it was we had to let it sit out for a little bit because it was still pretty frozen in the middle. What, okay, here we go. What is something that you have screwed up royally when cooking Thanksgiving? Pie or dessert or whatever. Oh, well, God, I remember one. Okay. I, I was making, thanks for, I was making my uh, pumpkin pie and our neighbors were gone. Our next door neighbors were gone and they had asked us to watch their house. And I said, hey, can I use your oven? to do my pie so that I can have the turkey in my oven and the pie over there and everything will be fine. And they said, sure. So I make the pie, I go over there, I take it out of the oven. This is beautiful pie, it smells wonderful. And I step outside and as I'm trying to pull the door closed, the pie slips out of my hands and shatters on their front porch. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that's that toaster oven. <laughs> that's hard on that's hard on double edges because then you got glass and snow all over the porch and and there was it was one of those cold mornings where sound cold still mornings and sound oh. traveled like a bell and there was one other person out because it was nasty it was cold but still so everybody comes and out their house and thinks there's a gunshot from well, uh, there was one person out down the street and he looked up and i just heard 
that your Thanksgiving does not involve a slow clap. And that's going to yeah. do it for Three Book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.